Welcome to Way Family Church. You're listening to our sermon podcast. Way Family Church is a new church plant in Tucson, Arizona. We welcome you to join us every Sunday morning at 1030 for worship, the word, and fellowship. If you'd like more information, visit us online at wayfamily.church. Okay, I'm going to ask a goofy question, just for starters. How many of you guys have ADD or know someone who has ADD? All right. I must confess, although I'm not officially diagnosed, I think I got it. I'll give you an example. My wife likes to uh, uh, put those, uh, you probably have seen them on YouTube, there's some screensavers, it's like a, a just a pretty scenery and there's probably jazz music or something just nice in the background. So she's playing one of those things the other day and we're having a conversation. <clears throat> and while we're in the middle of this conversation, and I'm, I'm actually the one in dialogue here, I'm actually the one who's saying something to her, and this little kitten that they have in this little scene catches my eye, and as I'm speaking to her, I think, oh look, there's a cat on the counter there. Okay, like, does that ever happen then? Is that just me? Or maybe we know someone who's easily distracted in that way. I'm very easily distracted, uh, and so, uh, this happens, I think, to the best of us and even to the worst of us, <laughs> where we're trying to focus on something. We have goals established in our lives, but for some reason or another, we get distracted. It's like that movie Up Squirrel. You know, we get distracted by whatever's going on or around us or whatever catches our eye, and then we find ourselves wandering, don't we? We're, we're heading somewhere, like in this example with my wife, I'm, I'm telling her something, and then it just, it just, the thought ended. And I had to point out the fact that there's a kitten on the counter. And it, why is there a cat on the counter? <laughs> anyway, this, what we're looking into today is similar to that. Now, here's the fact of the matter. I think that everyone would agree that we're all prone to wander. You know, as Christians, as believers, we have put our faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ. We understand the gravity of our sin and we have repented of which and we trust him for our salvation. And we know that through the cross, he pays that debt that is owed by us. Romans says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of life is Christ and eternal life through Jesus Christ. However, once we enter this newness of life, we're still prone to wandering, aren't we? We're still prone to kind of look back and think, ah, mm, what's going on over there? Another example, well, when we still lived in California, we used to have a place that my wife and I used to like to go to. It was an Italian restaurant, and she really enjoyed going there because it was really quiet. The lights were dimmed, and you can actually hear yourself think, right? And so this was a nice place, and she got to dress up a little bit, go to this place. But right next door, they had opened a new restaurant, and it was called Johnny Garlic's by Guy Fieri, the guy with the, the Food Network crazy. If you could imagine what his restaurant would look like, it was crazy. There was TVs everywhere and there was people just crowded. And I'm drawn, you know, I'm going to Mama Tosca's, the place where we're trying to go. And here I am prone to wanderings. Like, what's going on over there? Like, why is everyone over there? You know, we have those tendencies as believers. However, that doesn't mean that we lose our salvation per se. That doesn't mean that if we're prone to wander and if we get distracted by little things here and there, that just means we're human. That just means that we're being distracted by those things and we have to remember, we have to come back together, we have to maybe even uh, come with, together with our brothers and sisters. We talked about this last week and how brotherhood is so important, how praying for one another is so important, how doing this faith walk alone is not a good idea, but to come together with people who 
also believe and trust in the Lord is so helpful because we're prone to wandering. We're prone to be distracted. We're prone to forget the things that we're aiming for. And so when we're together, we're able to have accountability for one another. We're able to remind each other of the goal, right? Now, here's what's interesting. Going into this particular passage that we're going to look into today, I thought that that's exactly what it was all going to be about. But again, after digging in deeper and putting everything into context, it's slightly different. And so I don't want to disregard the fact that as believers, we're still prone to wandering. However, we don't get lost again. You know, we have the beautiful example of the prodigal son where the prodigal son takes his, um, his inheritance and he squanders it in reckless living. However, he returns home just to be found with arms wide open, right? The father goes out there, doesn't even ask him about what happened. The first thing that he does is he goes out there and he takes him. He receives him and he throws a big party for him because his son who had gone and who was led astray, who, who, who left, who broke relationship with the father in the moment had returned, but he was never, ever actually lost. He was wandering, all right? And so today we're going to finish the book of James. And it's a little bit different from that example, actually. James is not necessarily talking about that kind of wandering. And we're going to break it down here in a little bit. But last week, as I mentioned, we looked into the power of prayer. We saw that through prayer, the believer who is suffering is comforted, restored, and is uh, brought or empowered to continue to be fruitful again through prayer. Prayer does amazing things for the Christian. James speaks of those who are suffering as a result of trials and persecution. If we're reminded of what the book of James was, it's all about trials, persecution, and the testing or the testing genuineness of our faith. That's what this letter is about. And so James write this, James, the half-brother of Jesus, write this to the diaspora, or the, the, those who are dispersed. They're Jewish Christians who are no longer in Jerusalem. They have dispersed to the out, outward regions of the world, as it, as it was known at this time. And here's the thing, though. There's news that a lot of people who are so-called Christians are living recklessly, or at least they're not representing Jesus the way they ought to. In fact, they're inflicting suffering into the church. And these are Christians, professing Christians, to say the least, actually. Because then there's a question, well then, if they're capable of doing such a thing, are they genuine in their faith? Because someone who's genuine in their faith submits to the Lordship of Jesus. It's no longer their pursuits, pursuits or desires or their goals or, or, or uh, the things that they're drawn to, right, that propels them to move forward in that. But instead, it's that redeeming work of Jesus that redirects us. And now everything that we do, everything that we step forward in is according to the will of God. It's according to his decrees, his desires. And so that's what James is talking and he's doing this in love. He's preaching truth in love because he loves the congregation, because he loves his brothers. He's going to rebuke them, correct them, and encourage them. He's not just going to let them be whoever, whatever, to do whatever they're doing that's not helpful, but rather destructive. Now, James speaks of those who are suffering as a result of trials, but trials that are not just a product of the faith walk that we all experience, but also a product of the inflicted pain by other believers, so-called believers, right? And so we need to be comforted through that. However, James didn't say that this was to be surprised. We should be surprised by it. But instead, he said this is to be expected. He said, count it joy 
when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And so he opened this letter by saying, hey, these trials count it joy. Consider it pure joy. And you might ask, why? Why should I consider trials joy? Because it produces steadfastness because it refines the heart, because it allows us to grow in spirit and in truth, and allows us to grow in a way where we're strengthened and our walk becomes more and more solidified, where we zero in on the goal, and that's eternity with Jesus Christ. And then everything that we do becomes pinpointed. It's all about Jesus, and then our personal desires begin to fade away, and the Lord re replaces them with His, right? And so these, this is the product of trials is actually a good thing for us. It's not necessarily bad, so long as we respond to them well. So long as we respond to them according to the wisdom of God and not the wisdom of the world, which is something that James also hits on in this, in this passage. But here's the thing, though, and I think that this is what this passage is all about. So if we can please turn to James chapter 5, we're going to look at the final two verses in this passage. Now, throughout this letter, it is clear that James is talking to believers or to the church. And it also was made clear that not everybody in the church had genuine faith. Did you guys catch that in weeks past? We had people who liked the idea of Jesus. They liked the idea of salvation. They liked the idea and the principles of the gospel, but there wasn't a genuine faith. What that means is that they have not surrendered the, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They're, they're kind of like, hey, I like this club. I like what they stand for. I like the principles. And so I'm going to be a part of that. But that genuine submission and lordship of God isn't there, isn't present in their life. And we know this because James can, talks about them and he defines these people as sinners. And if we look at the original word here, that literally means heathen, people who are non-believers. And so I think it's true that within every con congregation, we have people who are listening or perhaps are self in self-deceit, thinking that they're granted, let's say, salvation, but they're far from actually being saved. And so that's something that we all need to hear because it's true and it's a real thing. And so as a loving thing, we need to, we need to hit on it. We have to mention it. We have to have this, this conversation, folks right? We don't want anyone to be deceived in thinking that they are saved, but they're far from it. Now, James hits on this because all he's doing is emphasizing a concern that originated with our Lord Jesus Christ. So this isn't even an original idea out of James. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Jesus warned, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Wow. When I read this passage, this is sobering for me because I'm reminded of those moments where I'm functioning out of lawlessness. I'm doing things that are outside of the will of the Lord, things that are uh, uh, contrary to what he has called me to do. And I hate that when that happens with me, right? Because we're all prone to wandering. But what he's saying here is that there are people who are literally in the church doing things, but they're far from his grace. And that's that's what we're going to hit on today. Just, just a little bit more. Like, this is truly a frightening thing, and we have to have this conversation. And I think that this is where James 
uh, or the reason why James closes with this passage, because it's the final call to the believer here as far as James is concerned, as this letter is concerned from James. Look at what Isaiah 29, 13 says. It also make, me, makes mention of this um, frightening reality. And this is before the Christian church was even established. It says this in Isaiah 29, 13, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Being a part-time Christian. A part-time Christian, that's right. Jeremiah also makes mention of it in 12.2. You plant them and they take root. They grow and produce fruit. You are near in their mouth and far from their heart. This is very interesting. And this is very clear that this indeed happens within the, the Christian body. And then having... Uh, clearly understood this even from James. James mentioned in chapter 122, but be doers of the word and not just hearers, only deceiving yourselves. In other words, there is that potential of being self-deceit, okay? And if we think back and we consider all of those, the supposed Christians that we have met in our lives, there have definitely been some that are questionable, don't you think? And so this is what we're talking about today. This is what James is hitting on. Now, like the great leader that James is, he provides a series of tests for us to te uh, check the genuineness of our faith to help people avoid being deceived. And so this is hopefully helpful to all of us. We have this series of tests that we find in James to help us not be self-deceived, but to truly come to salvation, meaning that we understand the severity of our sin and we submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and receive his salvation. For whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And so the, the, the true saving faith responds properly. And this is the series of tests that we've seen so far. True saving faith responds properly to trials and temptations. When trials come, we lean on God. We lean on Christ. When temptation comes, we do not fall into temptation. But instead, we respond with the word of God, right? We talked about that in the past. Well, a true genuine faith also responds well to the word of God and his standards for holy living. We take that seriously. We don't take that loosely where it's just a suggestion, but rather to consider the Lord's words as a command and to move according to his will. Uh, saving faith also responds properly to proper speech, to how we treat people regardless of social class or where they come from. Uh, saving faith also responds properly, meaning according to God's will. When it comes to wisdom, it seeks his wisdom from God and not from the world. And it sets itself aside, himself or herself aside from the wisdom that comes from the world and moves and trusts God to direct them in everything that they do in life. True saving faith also responds well in, with money. It also responds well with being truthful and with prayer and humility and submission to the will of God. These are some standards, some tests that we can look into the true genuineness of faith. These is the, this is the fruit that comes out of that. And here's the thing, though, and I, I, th I think we've mentioned this in the past. We in ourselves have not been given the power or the authority to save people. And therefore, we don't have the ability to determine who's saved and who's not. We don't have the ability to determine you, you are for sure going to heaven and you, you're not, right? Although we can kind of 
do that in our hearts sometimes. We don't actually know that except for what is observable. And the Lord has given us these standards so that it would be observable. Now, when someone says something, but I observe the opposite, that person is a liar in my opinion, according to what I'm seeing. If we say that we, we, we root and, and cheer on for the Chargers, but you're wearing a Cardinals jersey, I don't believe you. You know what I mean? Like you have to, you have to demonstrate what it is that you believe. And it's very clear when you have that fruit from the person. It's like, I know where you stand. I know what you are. The problem with Christianity today is that so many profess to be Christians, so many claim to be Christians, but the lifestyle is so far from it. And that's very clearly observable. We should not be like that. We should constantly be in the word of the Lord. So it, it trains us. It, it continues to grow us in spirit and in truth. And I think one of the greatest principles that we see here in James is just off of chapter 4, verse 6, and I've mentioned this several times, that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The humble will submit to the Lordship of Christ, but the proud will do what the proud will do. It is my way or the highway. I will do what I consider to be great in my eyes, and I will not submit myself. In that same passage, 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There's a command to humble yourselves, therefore, to God, to resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. These, my friends, are marks of true salvation. Now, let's look at how James wraps all of this up, because he closes this epistle similarly to how Jesus closed his ministry. All right. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave us a great commission, and we find that in Matthew chapter 28. And this is kind of like James's great commission to us right here, these final two verses. And it says this, so uh, turn, turn to me to James chapter 5, uh, 19 through 20. Today's sermon title is Lifesavers, and we will see why. It says this, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. We ask, Father, that you would move in this place, that you would help us understand the message that you have for us, that as your word says, that we would be doers of the word, not just hearers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so these final two verses that we have here, I think provide us with four things to look for to help us identify those among us who lack genuine saving faith. This is the commission that we have because the last thing that we want as believers is to have people in our midst who don't, don't genuinely know Christ. That should not be okay with us. We should be longing for them to know Christ. We should be longing for them to receive Jesus' salvation. We should do anything we possibly can in love, right, for them within the power that the Lord has given us. And so these final four, four verses provide us with those four things to look for. And here's the challenge for us or the commission to us. One, we can look for their draw. Just anybody within our, our, our let's say, our fellowship, what are they drawn to? Are they drawn to the things of the Lord or are they drawn to sin and sinful desires? The other thing to look for is the danger that they face. The danger that anybody faces when they wander away from the Lord. The next thing is the opportunity that we have to redeem people. The opportunity for redemption that's ahead of them. That's something to consider and to keep on our radar always because that's essentially the redemption that 
uh, is what brings us to enjoy and in, in the fulfillment of the reward that's found through Jesus Christ. And that's the final thing that we look at. And so I'm going to be brief today. The first thing to look at is the draw. And so these two final verses are a continuation of what we saw last week. This is not a new thought, but rather it streams line from what we saw from prayer last time. And there's a clear calling to brotherhood here. Now, we saw last week that through prayer, we find comfort, we find redemption, and we find strength. And there's also a call to brotherhood, to confess our sins to one another, to pray for one another, to anoint one another, right? To care for one another. A good word that sums all of this up is to it's healing. It's to find healing within the body of Christ, to find healing as though Christ himself is ministering to us. That's what happens when we come together. That's what happens when we're in fellowship with other believers. Um, we need to be attentive to one another. We need to be conscious of what's happening. We can't just walk in and say, okay, that was great. Check that off my list. I'm going home. This is, this is what James is calling us to do, is to actually notice one another. Now, to be attentive to one another doesn't mean that we need to be invasive either. Hey, I need to know what's going on in your life. Tell me everything, you know, but instead to speak with honesty with one another, you know, to find this place of vulnerableness, because we know that everyone with us is trustworthy. Now, are we there yet? Not necessarily. I don't think I don't think I consider everyone that I that I think as a Christian as trustworthy, but I'm working on it and I'm sure that there are, too. But we need to be able to have this open hospitality, this ability to care for one another and to be attentive to our needs. And I hope that uh, this is something that we continue to, to harness here at Way Family Church. And so um, we need to be attentive to one another. James exemplifies this intentionality by writing this letter in itself. And I think it's beautiful. He's intentional with those who are straying from the truth or who are behaving in a way that does not represent Christ well. And so let's make sure that that's not us, that we're not doing that. And so he writes this in the final two verses in regards to straying or a draw away from the Lord. My brothers, he says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, whoever brings back a sinner, verse 20, I'm skipping a little bit there, from his wandering. In other words, there's this wandering going on. Now, James uses this word brothers several times. We've seen this throughout this series, and he uses it uh, to address few different types of people like for example he uses it to address his fellow people in heritage the jews he calls them brothers but he also uses it to uh uh to connect with his fellow people in faith the christians because there were some jews who consider them christians but they still practice different things and some christians who said that they were believers in jesus but they were still wicked in, in certain ways and so he's considering them as Hey, I love you guys. You're my brothers. I care about you. So we're going to go into this together. And so here we specifically see that James is addressing those who are genuine believers of the faith, because as genuine believers of the faith, as we mentioned, we need to be lifesavers in the sense that we need to give someone that floating device so that they don't get lost. And so and so that's that's kind of where he's going. And he says this, if anyone among you wonders or wanders, not wonders, wanders. Uh, this is another category of people that James asked about. Now, if we think back from last week, he asked a couple of questions. He says, is anyone among you suffering? In other words, is anyone among you afflicted or uh, by others? Uh, he also asked, is anyone among you cheerful or comforted? He also asked, is anyone among you sick? Which means weak, feeble, or powerless. And now James says, is, is anyone among you wanders? Or if anyone among you wanders, who is James talking about? He is describing no more than the professed believer who needs to be called to true salvation by those who are in genuine faith. 
And although this is a sad reality, it's true. We have these people among the Christian communities. And these type of people are most likely found in every church, not just some churches. And we need to consider this. This is something that's broad. This is something that is a, a sad reality. And this is something that I think uh, really should weigh heavy on us as believers, as Christians. We want all of our brothers and our sisters to experience g- true, genuine salvation in Jesus Christ. And I'll give you an example. In Matthew chapter 13, 20 through 23, Jesus uh, shares a parable. Do you, want, do you know what parable this is? The parable of the sower. I want to read it to you to see how it works. We'll start in verse 20. It says, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. That's one example of someone who is a professed Christian. They receive the word. And they're happy about it, but as soon as the trial hits, it's gone. The next one is, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but cares of the world, of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. This is another example of someone who has professed Christianity, but has been choked out by other cares, There's other ideas, other thoughts, other influences that has wiped that out. And so, therefore, there is no genuineness in faith. And as for what was sown in good soil, in verse 23, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, and yields in one case, a hundredfold, in another, sixty, in another, thirty. This is an example of genuine faith. Now, there's two kinds of revelation. There's general revelation and there's special revelation. What do I mean by that? I'm going to explain this really quick. General revelation is when the gospel is proclaiming you hear it. Most of us have had general revelation. Even, I would say, a lot of America has had general revelation. That means that someone has told us that salvation is only attained through Jesus Christ. They have heard the gospel presentation. They have heard that Jesus is the one who took the sin in the world, died on the cross, atoned for us, was buried, and on the third day raised from the dead, and he said it is finished. That right there is general revelation. Everyone hears that. You can get general revelation even from watching a movie. You can get general revelation even from listening to a podcast or a preacher. You could even have general revelation from listening to the street preacher who stands in the corner and proclaims the gospel. That's general revelation. We all receive that. And some of us respond to that by saying, hey, that's a great idea. I want to know more about it. But they, that's as far as it goes. It's more of an idea. It's more of a concept. And it sounds good. That's general revelation. Then there's special revelation. Special revelation is where the message, the general message gets to us. But then there's something about it. There's something different about this. Like now, oh, wow, I see the gravity of my sin. I see that I need saving. You know, I had general revelation growing up for the longest time, and it wasn't until my early 20s that I realized that I didn't get it. Do you know what I'm talking about? We hear the gospel and we think that we're cool. And if anyone would have asked me back in the day, what do you you identify? You know, are you a Christian or what? Yeah, I'm a Christian. But I was so far from being a genuine Christian at the time, I just didn't get it. I just knew the story of the gospel and I knew the story of Jesus and I can tell you the story of Noah and the ark. And so therefore I was a Christian. 
But it was until I received that special revelation where the gospel actually made sense to me and I saw my need for a savior and I saw the danger that was ahead of me that I realized that I needed to submit to him and I needed help and it was far from me and my ability to attain the salvation. That is special revelation. Not everyone has received special revelation, but we've all here have received the general revelation. I can guarantee you that right now. All right. And so those who have received the general revelation are prone to wandering in the sense that James is talking about in the sense that, hey, we have heard the word of God, but we didn't submit to it. We have heard the word of God and we thought it was a great idea, but I'm going to check out and I'm going to go somewhere else for now. This is the kind of wandering that James is talking about in this passage. And so if we continue this, it says, If anyone among you wanders from the truth, wanders from the words that the Lord is calling us to, from salvation according to the gospel of Jesus, salvation requires submission and lordship to Jesus Christ. If anyone wanders away from that, that wandering means to go astray, to apostate. That's what that means. It's uh, the, Greek, uh, lang- the Greek word for that is, uh, uh, I'm going to say it, this wrong, plunao. I think I said that pretty good, actually. <laughs> it means to wander both physically and spiritually, to leave the truth, let's say. But this is not the truth that was genuine and saving. This is the truth that was declared to them as a general revelation. And they walk away from that. They heard it, they evaluated it, and they said, yeah, maybe not now. This is the wandering that James is talking about. They, they walk away from the truth, the word of God, the gospel of salvation. Now, this is a mark of those whose faith is not genuine in what they are able, and, and, and therefore they're able to reject the truth of salvation. A genuine, a genuine faith in Jesus can't reject, can't reject Christ. Like there comes a point where when you are saved and when you're convicted for your sin, you just can't walk away from it. In fact, what you end up doing is if any time you, you turn to the right or left away from the path, you end up running right back and saying, God, I'm sorry and, I'm, and I need your help. Those who have genuine salvation will continue to press into the Lord. They will feel that sense of repentance every moment that there's sin in their life. They cannot run. I've told people this several times. Sure, I have the ability to walk away from the church, but my conscience, my spirit, my soul will die. If I ever did such a thing, I am incapable of leaving my Lord. That is what salvation does. That's genuine, that's genuine faith. Now, this is why I think you'll read in passages like Jude chapter 3, for example. I'm going to read this to you. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. What is this saying? It means that someone who has heard the gospel are, are wandering away. And it's, it's important to call them to repentance. Their draw or their attention is not towards the Lord's salvation and the promises for eternity. Their draw or their attraction continues to be the world and the things that it offers. Those who are wandering in this case, those who have received the general revelation, but not the special, though, those who have received the message of the gospel and are wandering in this case are people who are still seeking that sense of satisfaction, but they're seeking it in the wrong places. 
Because when we have that genuine saving faith, as I mentioned, we run to the Lord when we're feeling parts. We run to the Lord when we feel like there's something missing in our hearts. But those who have heard it but have not received the genuine salvation or do not have genuine faith, those people will run to the things of the world to be satisfied and to try to fill those empty spots in their hearts. You know, we should not be like that. When we see that, when we observe that, we should go and we should come to them because we want them to experience salvation in Christ and those empty holes that we continue to seek time after time could never be filled except through Jesus Christ. A genuine faith submits to the Lordship. It resists the devil. And this is beyond the sins that we all have as, 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 as humans. So I love I love what Paul says in chapter 7, verse 15. I do not understand my own actions, he says. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. We all understand that. But that's the key there. He hates it. Do you ever find yourself doing something and you just hate it? Like, I hate that I did that. You know, a genuine person in faith hates their sin. But someone who is wandering, who has received the gospel or the message of the gospel, but has not necessarily put their faith and trust in Jesus, they don't hate their sin yet. They still find much pleasure in that. And so what we're called to do is to restore that person, to bring them to genuine salvation. Now, verse 20 says, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering, and that word sinner is the same one that James has used in the past, that's hamortalas. That's someone who's devoted to sin, not freed from sin, wicked, a heathen. This is someone who is not saved. He is without God. He is a practitioner of sin. And that word practitioner is key. And we need to draw to the Lord and practice his will and not sin. 1 John 3, 8 and 9 says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. Anyone who works on perfecting a craft is a practitioner of it. That's why we call doctors, when they're doing their thing, you know, they're practicing doctors. They're trying to perfect the craft, right? They're trying to be really good at what they're doing. Uh, if I'm trying to get good at playing guitar, I'm gonna practice. I'm gonna be a practitioner of that. I'm gonna say, I practice my guitar. You know, if we continue to practice our sin, to be practitioners of sin, that is a clear indication that maybe there's a lack of saving faith there. Do you see that? But the genuine Christian is, is still prone to wander. It's still prone to sin but he or she is not a practitioner of it. Do you see the difference? He or, she, he or she is not going to continue to work that out. In fact, they're gonna get away from that and cling to the Lord, and it's called sanctification. The next thing I wanna to point to is the danger, and I'll be brief here, I promise. Whoever brings, verse 20, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The imminent danger that the sinner faces here is death of the soul. This is just inevitable for those who do not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This is the final state of the unrepentant sinner, and it is eternal hell. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says this, that the unrepentant sinner will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And this is where sin leads. There's just 
There's no way around it except for the way. And that's Jesus. Paul says, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Yes, that right there is great news. The gift of life is able to not just cover some sins, but a multitude of sins. This is great news because a lot of people don't come to church and they don't do the things because they think that they have so much sin in their lives they're incapable of it. Like, how could God even redeem me or save me? There's so much that I have done. My hands are overly stained with my sin. But the great news is that the power and the blood of Jesus has the power to cover a multitude of sins. So regardless of how hopeless a situation may be appear for you, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection is absolutely enough to save. That's great news. So let's steer away from the danger and let's go into salvation. We have an opportunity as believers. And that's the next thing we're going to talk about here, which is just point out really quick, according to this passage. James says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul. The opportunity here is for someone, whoever. The call to proclaim the truth of the gospel, the call to go and make disciples is not limited to the pastor or to the elders. Don't think that I'm the only one that's supposed to be evangelizing here in the church. This call is for everyone, someone, whoever. 2 Corinthians 5, 18, 19, 18 through 19 says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not, con- not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. That someone and that whoever, that's us. So that's the commission that we have. We have that responsibility. God has entrusted us to the message of reconciliation. It should not be okay for us to see that our brother is not genuine in their faith and be like, Peace be with you. That should not be our disposition. But instead, we should go and try to bring them back. Let's say, listen to the message. Submit yourself before the Lord. See the danger that you face. What an opportunity that God has given us as people. We are undeserving of this. I don't even know why God chose to use people for the ministry. We are so unworthy, and yet he has given us this privilege, and it's amazing. Let's take advantage of this opportunity. Christ's mission, as described in Luke 10, no, Luke 19, 10, is to seek and save the lost. Therefore, the church is to follow that same example. We ought to go and seek and save the lost. Again, salvation is not something that we can grant. It is done through Jesus Christ alone. We have an awesome opportunity, don't we? We have a great privilege. We have to move according to that. And then finally, um, the thing that I'd like to get into now is the reward. Why should we do this? Why should we submit to Jesus? Well, it says that the soul saved from death and forgiveness of sin because there is salvation from eternal death and damnation, and there is forgiveness of sins. That's the reward, and that's called grace. We don't deserve that. And yet the Lord offers it. And so the goal is to help the false believer turn to the truth. The goal is to help any brother and sister submit to the the Lordship of Christ. And to not just say, okay, good luck. But to walk with them. And to be with them. James has hit on this throughout this entire letter. It's, 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 It's a community thing. 
You know, believing is a community thing. Like we need to bolster each other's faith up. We have the ability to grow um, in spirit and in truth, and it really helps to be together. And so the truth would not only be like a good idea for the person who's wandering, but rather that it would become the full assurance of faith that regardless of what's happened in life, regardless of what they're drawn to necessarily, that when we submit to the 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 lordship of jesus we have this full assurance of faith and what is the full assurance of faith well he's called us to repentance he has allowed us to recognize the filth of our sin he has washed us clean his righteousness is counted onto us he has saved us through his sacrifice on the cross and when he was on the cross he said something amazing it is finished the full assurance of faith is that what jesus did for us on the cross is enough there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. There's nothing you can do to be a better person. Actually, think about that. Because you're born in sin, but it's everything that Christ does in you that makes you a better person because it makes you more Christ-like. His righteousness is counted onto you. That's the reward that we have. It's not even fair you think about it. It's not even fair that the Lord has chosen to save us and to give us uh, 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 this, this, this inheritance as sinners. But he has redeemed us, he has washed us, he has cleansed us. Even though we're prone to wandering, even though we think, ah, we can find something better. That's the, that's the problem with humanity, right? But Jesus is perfect and he is amazing in everything that he does. David says in Psalm 32, 1, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Absolutely blessed is that person. It's amazing. It's the best gift that anyone could have. Psalm 103, uh, 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Now, let's think about this. And then James closes with these final two verses because it's so important. We see what trials do. For some, they're great. For others, it's affliction. But we can help one another out through through the wisdom and strength of Jesus Christ. If we find anyone wandering, if we find anyone outside of the truth, from what we can observe... It is our obligation, it is our duty to restore them to to God. Who? Whoever. Someone. You know, that's the beauty about being part of the body of Jesus is my giftings are complemented by yours and yours and yours and yours and yours. The people that I cannot reach, you can. You know, I'm not cool enough for Weston's friends. So that's why God chose Weston to reach those people. You know what I mean? And vice versa. Like, you guys know who your sphere of influence is. This is the beauty of being part of the body of Christ. Many members, many giftings, but same mission. We're still united in Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's the mission is to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we do not say, good luck, Godspeed. We say, no. Let's go. Let's walk together because this walk genuinely is better together. And so I'll, I'll close with uh, what James opened this letter with. And I think it's a good reminder for all. It's a wonderful blessing. And it says this in James chapter 112. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray for those who have heard the truth of the gospel but have not yet surrendered to your lordship. 
But I ask that you would stir hearts, Father, to recognize the gravity of their sin, the danger that they face, Lord Jesus, from wandering alone, pursuing the things that are outside of your will. But we ask that you would restore us, Lord Jesus. We thank you for reconciliation that is found through you. We ask that you would continue to use us to be your hands and feet, to bring our brothers and sister, Father, into relationship with you. And Lord, we trust that you will do the awesome and mighty works that you do. And so, Lord, now we just pray that you would allow us to retain what you have taught through James and that we would be genuine and that we would bear much fruit as a disciple of Jesus will be known by the love that we have for one another and how we abide with you in your word and that we bear much fruit. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.